It's time to be equipped for spiritual battle. Defending the Faith is a show to train Christians worldwide to be effective teachers and speakers on the subject of biblical creation so that the next generation can stand firm on biblical truth and defend their faith. Now, here is your host of Defending the Faith, Mike Riddle. Welcome to Defending the Faith. I'm your host, Mike Riddle, and we're coming to you from KBXL Radio 94.1 FM, The Voice. Now, our show is about teaching on the topics of creation evolution, biblical apologetics, moral relativism, in other words, how to defend your faith, because our students need to learn how to defend their faith. Now, our ministry is Creation Training Initiative, or CTI. You can find us on the web at creationtraining.org. That's creationtraining, all one word, dot org. We also encourage you to email email us with your comments at info, that's I-N-F-O, at creationtraining.org. We look forward to hearing from you with your questions about creation evolution or your comments about how well we're doing. Well, today, our topic is apologetics. In today's session, we'll look at answering two very common challenges to God's Word that tend to make many Christians stumble in their faith or belief in God's Word. Now, the word apologetics, let's start off here. It does not mean we apologize for what we believe. It comes from the Greek apologia, which means we have a verbal defense for what we believe. Now, there tends to be a a sense there in which apologetics, many people believe, is a very technical ministry, which is only for a very specialized, small number of Christians. However, this thinking has caused tremendous damage because of the failure of the church to see basic apologetics as part of the discipleship process for every Christian. See, the number one reason we do apologetics, in other words, being able to defend the faith, is not to win arguments. It's called evangelism. That is the main reason we do apologetics, evangelism. Listen, folks, Jesus did it, Paul did it, and we can learn to do it also. It does not take a college degree to learn how to do apologetics. Other reasons we do apologetics, it glorifies God. And also, it strengthens and encourages many Christians in their faith and encourages Christians to go out there and be better evangelists, be able to give and defend the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, does God call us to defend his word? He doesn't need us to do that, but does he call us to do that? See, if, if he didn't call us to do that, then apologetics is just a waste of time. On the other hand, if God uses apologetics to bring people to an understanding of truth, then it is vital that we arm ourselves with the job description of being an apologist. See, again, the goal of apologetics is always that of an evangelist to lead the unbeliever to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Apologetics clears the way for the proclamation of the gospel by bringing down strongholds. That's why we do apologetics, to remove any stumbling block from people accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Why is this an important issue? Well, what is going to be our issue today? Well, let's look at our challenges. We're going to cover two challenges. The first challenge is, who did Cain marry in the Bible? Well, we have Adam and Eve, we have Cain and Abel. Who did Cain marry? Well, we don't know her name, 
But yet this challenge comes up quite often. I've seen it on the History Channel twice, and both times for a half hour they taught the Bible was an embarrassment. And millions of people watch that, and millions of people don't believe the Bible anymore. Skeptics of the Bible have used this challenge, who did Cain marry, to discredit the book of Genesis as real history. So you need to know how to answer this question, and we're going to find out. It's not going to be that hard. Again, many skeptics have claimed that for Cain to have a wife, there must have been other races of people on earth who are not descendants of Adam and Eve. See, there's a major problem also, because ladies and gentlemen, there's only one race. It's called the human race. To some Christians, though, this has become a stumbling block to accepting the creation account of Genesis as true history, and therefore that leads to doubts about the rest of Scripture. As defenders of God's Word, we must have answers to these challenges. And I want to point out again, God did not create other races. There's only one race, that is the human race. Wouldn't it be nice if our media understood that out there on our TV channels? They're always talking about racism. Folks, there's one race. It is called the human race. Now, the Bible states that we are to have a defense, a ready answer, always for the hope that's within us. Now, where do we find that? That's 1 Peter 3.15. 1 Peter 3.15 says we're to have a ready defense or answer always for the hope that's within us. Jude 3, we are told or commanded to contend for the faith. In 2 Corinthians 10.4 and 5, we are commanded to bring down all strongholds and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. These are not suggestions. These are very strong mandates to all Christians. Now, the reason so many Christians... Christian youth are leaving the church today, and that number is right around 70%. Did you know about 70% of our Christian youth are walking away from the church before they finish school? Why? Well, one of the main reasons is that they lack confidence in the Bible. Now, wait a minute. I'm talking about Christian youth who have been in Sunday school for 12 years, lack confidence in the Bible. That has something to say about our Christian education in the church. But you see, by teaching our youth, the Bible does have answers, we can begin to turn this situation around and stop that 70% casual rate. Many of you listening out there today may have children or teens that don't trust the Bible. We need to make sure, as parents and grandparents, we know the answers and we can give those to our children. Why does it matter about the issue, who did Cain marry? Well, it affects our understanding of the gospel and our trust in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, we read this. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. In this verse, Jesus is called the last Adam. If there was no real first Adam, then what do we make of, of the last Adam, Jesus? Is he not real also? In Romans five twelve, we read, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sin. The scriptures clearly state that Adam was the first man, and this first man, Adam, was responsible for sin entering the world. God did not start by making a race of men or many races. Again, there is only one race. Now, let's turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. We're also told that Adam looked at the animals. He couldn't find any of his own kind. 
So God created the first woman. This makes it obvious that there is only one woman, Adam's wife, from the beginning. So at the very beginning, we have one man and one woman, which is also the beginning of marriage and the definition of marriage, one man, one woman. Now, who was Cain? Well, Cain was the first child of Adam and Eve. Now, he also had brothers, Abel and Seth. They were part of the first generation of children. So, who did Cain marry now? Well, let's turn to Genesis chapter 5, verse 4, and we read this. After he begot Seth, the days of Adam were 800 years, and had sons and daughters. Did you know that? It said of Adam and Eve, they had other sons and daughters. That's plural. Scripture does not tell us how many children they had, but it does tell us that Adam lived to be 930 years old. It would seem logical that during all that time, they did have many children. Now, we're not told when Cain married, but we can say for certain that Cain's wife was most likely his sister or very close relation. Now, some people will just reject this conclusion of Cain marrying his sister because of the current law against marrying your close relative. It's called incest. Now, why is there a law against marrying your close relative? It has to do with mutations or what we call errors in our genes. The more closely two people are related, the more likely it is they're going to have similar mistakes in their genes called mutations. Therefore, their offspring will more likely inherit these similar mistakes from both parents, and this could cause deformities. So the answer so to why we don't want you to marry a close relation is to protect the children from being deformed due to mutations. And that is again called incest. Now, does this mean the Bible teaches incest? Because we just stated Cain most likely carried a, married his sister or close relation. This is what they taught on the History Channel. But you see, the History Channel doesn't always do their homework very well, especially when they deal with the Bible. The Bible does not teach incest. I want to make sure you understand that. The Bible does not teach incest. Let's go back and read the Bible. God's creation was perfect. We see that in Genesis 1.31. God looked back at his entire creation, called it very good, and we're told in the book of Deuteronomy that the works of God are good, therefore God's creation was perfect. Next, Adam and Eve sinned, and all of creation was placed under the curse. And because of the curse, mutations began to enter into the different kinds, including humans. But it wasn't until the book of Leviticus, chapter 18, which was about 2,500 years after creation that God pronounced a law against marrying a close relation. Do you get that? For 2,500 years, it would have been okay to marry a close relation. You see, by the time of Moses, which again, about 2,500 years after creation, enough mutations have accumulated in the human species that it was necessary for God to make a law forbidding brother and sister to marry. Therefore, it was not incest until the book of Leviticus chapter 18. It was okay to marry a close relation because we did not have the genetic load of mutations which would have caused deformities. That's where the History Channel did not do their real research. So who did Abraham marry in the book of Genesis? Let's go back there. Who did Abraham marry? He married his half-sister. Was this wrong? No, it was not against the law until God made the law in the book of Leviticus chapter 18. So a quick recap. Who did Cain marry? Most likely his sister. Was this against the law, meaning incest? No. 
we did not have the genetic limitations in the beginning. It was not until Leviticus 18 that it was outlawed. Now, let's turn to a little bit of genetics. Do you know the study of genetics agrees with what we just stated about the Bible? Here's a quote from an evolutionary geneticist, and he states, The total number of mutations per diploid human genome per generation is about 100. Now, diploid, that means two sets of chromosomes, one from the father, one from the mother. And what he's saying there is every generation is getting about 100 new mutations. Did you get that? About 100 new mutations for every new generation. That doesn't sound good for the human species. Doesn't sound like we're getting better. Therefore, each preceding generation has less and less mutations until we get back to the beginning, Adam and Eve before the fall, when there were no mutations. You see, the study of genetics supports exactly what the Bible teaches there. Challenge number one, who did Cain marry? Most likely his sister. Was it incest? No. See, we can answer that question now. So let's go to challenge number two. And this is another big one. How could Adam name all the animals in one day? See, we talk about a literal six-day creation. How could he have named all these millions of creatures in just one day? Well, since God's creation was perfect, there were no defects. Genesis one thirty-one, his creation was very good. Adam would have had a perfect brain. In other words, no defects, perfect brain. We don't have perfect brains today because we suffer from thousands of years of sin and the curse. In other words, we're probably nowhere near as smart as Adam was. Now, just because we may not be able to come up with names for all the animals doesn't mean Adam couldn't. When God made Adam again, he was perfect, including his brain. It would be easy for Adam to come up with names for all the animals. Now, here's some common misconceptions going on about this challenge. Some people have the common misunderstanding, and they make the challenge that one day is not enough time for Adam to name all the animals. Well, this misunderstanding comes from a failure to observe the Scriptures carefully. You see, we're told to study the Scriptures to show ourselves approved. Number one, people assume Adam spent a lot of time in fellowship with the animals before he named them. However, the Bible does not state that Adam spent a lot of time in fellowship with all the animals before he named them. So there's a misconception. Number two, they state there were too many animals to name in one day. This argument is also used by some Christians who believe the Bible in a general way, but who insist that science requires us to believe that the days of creation were long ages instead of six days. In other words, too many Christians are turning to their understanding of science to reinterpret God's word. Folks, we're not God. We didn't write the Bible. He did. Now, first, the Bible does not say that Adam named all the animals. There's a misunderstanding right there. Second, Adam did not have to name every species of animal, but only the distinct kinds of animals. Now, let's turn to verse 2 in Genesis, chapter chapter 2, verse 20. And it states, So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Now, according to verse 20, Adam named the cattle, the beast of the field, and the birds in the air. He was not responsible for naming the sea creatures, the beast of the earth, that's different than the beast of the field, 
or the creeping things, including insects. Note that the animals he named included only the cattle, the birds, and the field animals. Not included were the beasts of the earth, the creeping things, the fish of the sea, which so thus the vast multitudes of marine animals and insects, as well as reptiles and amphibians, were excluded from Adam having to name all those. This would greatly reduce the amount of animals he had to name. Well, let's go through this. Let's see about how many he may have had to name. Well, there are currently about 2 million known species, and that number continues to go up. Of these, 98% are invertebrate, meaning without backbones. This includes the insects. The remaining 2% are vertebrae, or about 40,000. Of these, approximately 25,000 are marine creatures, which would not be included, and 4,000 amphibians would also which not be included. This leaves about 11,000 to name. However, of these 11,000, most would have descended from some original kind or proto-species. This leaves us maybe about 2,000 creatures Adam had to name. If he would have done this at five per minute, he could have done this in under six hours. Therefore, it can be demonstrated that Adam could have easily named each of these creatures in less than six hours, even taking a five-minute break every hour if he needed to. So let's go through maybe a plausible timeline of events for the sixth day. Now, this is just a plausible timeline. We're not saying this is how it happened. Let's suppose at 6 a.m., God creates the land animals. At 7 a.m., God creates Adam from the dust. At 8 a.m., all the way to 9, or 8 a.m., God creates the garden and puts Adam in it. From 8 to 11, Adam tends the garden. So he's got three hours to wander around the garden. Then from 11 to 5, Adam names the animals. From 5 to 7, Adam sleeps and God creates Eve from his side. And then from 7 to 8, Adam and Eve meet, and God tells them what, he, what they should and shouldn't eat. Now, of course, this is just a scenario. But if also, there's no reason why it would take God an hour to create land animals or another hour for the creation of Adam. He could have done it instantly. He's God, we're not. Let's quit redefining God and his attributes and his character. He said he did it one day, and we need to take that as truth. So, conclusion, the Bible does not give too many events to fit into the 24 hours of the sixth day. In fact, all the activities described could have easily fit into 12 hours. It's only when people honor man's wisdom over the plain reading of God's Word by inserting millions of years into creation that the sixth day seems to describe too many events. The teachings of Jesus Jesus should warn us about not trusting the Bible's history. We read in John chapter 5, verse 46 and 47, Jesus makes this statement, For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Then in John 3.12, he states, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe it, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Or as if he told us about the physical events and we don't believe that, how are we going to believe the spiritual things? God made it plain for us to understand in Genesis 1 that his creation was six little days. He did not require millions of years to accomplish this creation. So, in this lesson, we've answered two major challenges. Who did Cain marry, and how could Adam name all the animals in one day? Folks, we need some strong Christian leaders out there. 
We need strong leaders who are unashamed to stand on the authority of God's Word. Leaders with courage, honor, and commitment to God's Word, who are willing to teach all of God's Word, even when some sitting in their pews may not agree with it or like it. People need to hear God's Word, not man's wisdom. We need leaders who have answers to arguments that compromise God's Word. Once parents, teachers, and church leaders folks are trained, we'll begin to effectively train the next generation to stand firm and stop this 70% leaving the church. We need to grow and equip this next generation. We must remember that they will become the leaders and pastors and Sunday school teachers and homeschool educators. So we need to equip this next generation. As it says in Proverbs 22.6, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. I'm Mike Riddle, and you've been listening to Defending the Faith. Our website is creationtraining.org. That's creationtraining.org, all one word. Now, in future sessions, we'll be discussing many other topics and challenges like how could the first three days of creation be literal days if the sun was not created till day four? Does the Bible teach anything about science? Was there really a worldwide flood? How could Noah fit all the animals in the ark? What about carbon 14? Doesn't it prove things are tens of thousands of years old? How do you fit dinosaurs in the Bible? What about the fossil evidence used in textbooks to support human evolution? How about aliens, UFOs, and the Bible? Amazing creatures that defy evolution and many more. These will be future topics on defending the faith. Now, to keep this message going, we do need your financial support. And if you feel led to give financial support to this ministry, you can send your gifts to CTI, that's CTI, Post Office Box 2415. That's Post Office Box 2415, Eagle, Idaho, 83616. Or you can donate online by going to our website, creationtraining.org. And if you'd like to request information, you can email us at info, that's info, at creationtraining.org. I'm Mike Riddle, and we look forward to hearing from you. God bless all of you. See you next week.